the cliche that um, when people don't know what to say, they talk about the web, right? Not what you do. You, you know, I don't know you. Hi, my name's, isn't it great out? It's nice weather. Okay, but I have to say that today is a little bit of a special day because every year, well, most every year, sometimes it never happens, but every year when I'm lucky, there's a certain day and I go, oh, summer's here. I can feel it. And today was that day. So I'm really excited. I woke up and the sun was out and it, I don't know, there's just this feeling and I'm not cold. In fact, I was a little bit warm earlier. It's just fantastic. It was, aw it was awesome. Um, it's truly an honor to be here. Literally, I can't, it's, it's not possible really for me to overstate that. Uh, your pastor, Justin, what a great man of God and person, guy, and, uh, you know, Nick, fantastic. Like, what a, what a super cool church, and, and um, I know everybody says, oh, yeah, it's an honor to be here, but it really is, truly. It really, really is. You guys, are, all of y'all, amazing. This church, I don't know, do y'all get tired of it? Or is it every time it's cool, right? It is. It's awesome. Um, our church in Calvary Ballard, it's a funny, it's, um, it's like a 1955 box with a really weird pointy steeple on the top. So it's kind of funny, but it's great. It's ours. And by the way, speaking of nothing, this carpet. I don't know if you all know. So I grew up, I'm a missionary kid, grew up traveling, seen many churches. Guess what every church in the known universe had in the mid-50s? This carpet right here. I don't know if there was a sale, maybe? Like, what in the world? How did this happen? I don't know. Anyway, so it's honestly, it's a little bit sad, right? Because now you, you all are one of the last churches to actually have red carpet. <laughs> um, great to be in Capitol Hill. Now, rec recognize, I'm from Ballard, right? And you all know where Ballard is. It's on the other side of the cut, right? So this is a big journey for me. I had to go over the bridge. I feel like a fish out of water. I don't know this town. And, you know, I went to B&O. It's a Starbucks. What in the world? Okay, I know. That was years and years ago, but still. And, but I have to say, Capitol Hill has a fantastic memory for me because Capitol Hill is where I had my first real cup of coffee. True story. I had a buddy back in the day and he's like, oh, you got to have this new coffee thing. And he had me do mochas and whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's pretty good. And then I had another friend and he's like, you got to go to Vivace on 112th, not there anymore. But, and so I did, I stood in line and then I asked for a mocha. That was a big mistake because they looked at me weird and said, no. So they gave me a coffee, and it blew my mind. It literally blew my mind. And I was right here, Capitol Hill. It was awesome. Um, and I love, love good coffee. So thank you all. I know each of you were personally responsible for that experience, and I appreciate it. Okay. Let's get started. We'll, we'll definitely get into Scripture. I want to start off, though, thinking about a couple things. And um, just to point out something obvious, we all want to be successful. Now, some of you think maybe there's some assumptions that come in your mind. What does that mean to be successful? You know, maybe it's have the perfect family, have great kids, get a raise, 
get a promotion, maybe a better title. But what about, there's also other kinds of success like travel the world, go to far-flung places, fill up your social media with amazing photos that everybody's jealous about, right? Wow, look at that person, they're so successful. Maybe a fantastic garden. Or maybe you're just, no, 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 no. You just have to be. You have to be present, experience everything in the now. That's what it means to be. But again, regardless of any of that, we want to be successful. I'll say it a different way. We don't want to be a failure, right? Does any, who's ever come up to you and said, I'd like to be a failure? That's not a thing. We want to be successful. We want to be better than dot, dot, dot. We want a good life, of course. We want success in life. And unfortunately, too many people come to Christianity or think of Christianity as a way to be more successful in life, as some sort of 12-step program or a self-help or it's a better philosophy than. And this morning, as we dig into the book of Ecclesiastes, fantastic book, let's unpack that just a bit. Because we think it sort of makes sense to us that success will bring us fulfillment, that success will bring us a full life. This is what we've heard all the time, our entire lives, this is what we hear. But in today, I think what, what we'll read is that this so-called success is actually, well, it's meaningless. In fact, the old Hebrew word is hebel or vapor. It's a mist. It doesn't mean anything. The book in Ecclesiastes, it points out um, that much of what we think and sort of assume and have come to rely on is quite honestly an illusion. We'll read how uh, it, this this morning. The book, it, I, have to, I have to admit, I had a really hard time because the book of Ecclesiastes, well, it's a whole book. And uh, um, originally I had three Sundays to sort of fit it in, which in and of itself is a challenge. But then it turns out that I'm traveling the third Sunday, so now I have two Sundays. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Like, one Sunday is fine because I just super compress it and do cliff notes. But two, I don't know what to, anyway, it was a, it was a real struggle. Um, so anyway, wh <laughs> why do I say that? Because there's a, there's a lot to sort of uh, talk about. There's a lot to unpack. Um, but the, 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 in here, We'll read this morning, we'll read about how Solomon, assuming he was the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tried wisdom. And, and remember, wisdom in, this, in that time, that's the same or similar to what we think of as science today. Uh, it, it also incorporated what we think of as wisdom today, but it included science. There was really no such thing as, quote, science. That was science, the ability to understand it. So, so we think... So here, Solomon says, oh, yeah, I was really good at wisdom. I was really good at understanding things. Uh, and it, it was meaningless. He took care of himself in every conceivable way. Aren't we told to do that? Take care of yourself, right? Meaningless. 
he says. Solomon accomplished amazing things. Uh, is definitely the pinnacle of the Israelite existence. People came from all over to wonder at all the things that he accomplished. Meaningless, vapor, a mist. So it turns out that even if we're wildly successful, that's a big if, by the way, right? How many people are actually wildly successful? But even if we are, if we achieve our, if we achieve our dreams, it's meaningless. And folks, this is the sad, sometimes disheartening, but ultimately freeing reality of our inescapable, literally inescapable, we're all here, human condition. What we aspire to outside of God doesn't amount to anything. And that's our challenge. That's our dilemma. And I think that that's what we'll see is why Christ came. Okay. That's kind of a downer, right? Yeah. Um, now, I get to say, like, Ecclesiastes is my favorite book. I'm like, what? I'm like, what are you, some kind of, like, well, we'll, we'll see. I, I think, but, and it, it's not my favorite book despite this sort of dour, fatalistic, you know, what are we to do? We're all doomed vibe it gives off. But it's precisely because, and hopefully you can kind of follow along after, after this morning a bit more why it's still my favorite book. And next week, um, it's a little bit, you know, Nick made the joke about here already but not yet. And we'll really kind of honestly dive into that because it, it, it has everything to do with we're going to unpack Ecclesiastes chapter 1 through 11 next week, which is even worse, if you can believe that, um, at least from this particular, particular perspective. But for me, this book, Ecclesiastes, super meaningful. Why? Because it lets me off the hook. What do you mean, lets you off the hook, Mark? Well, if being successful is meaningless, then I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to be successful. Let's let that sink in just for a minute. This is why the Bible and Jesus put everything upside down. What do you mean you don't have to be successful? Of course you do. No. No, you don't. And we'll unpack this a little bit because there's a way, some ways of interpreting this that get people like, whoa, is this heresy or something? But we're just, we're just reading the Bible here. We're just going through Ecclesiastes. And it turns out that Ecclesiastes is actually part of the Bible, however uncomfortable that makes some people. Ecclesiastes, it's a clear assessment of how the world really is, right? It's not making these flowery statements. It doesn't sort of fluff it up. It's not a feel-good thing. Literally, we have Solomon saying, hey, this is how it is. This is how it is. Prove me wrong. Get a bunch of money, do a bunch of things, see if there's meaning in it. It's a complex book for a complex world. In fact, true story, 
my parents, missionaries, fantastic men and women of God, they warned me against reading Ecclesiastes. It's like, oh, I'm going to read Ecclesiastes. And they're like, whoa, whoa. It's kind of a tough book there, Mark. Okay, so I think it might have been reverse psychology because then I instantly read it, like the whole thing, right? Because they said, like, oh, yeah, it's a dangerous book. It reminds me, um, any C.S. Lewis fans? Okay, so Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Everyone remembers this. So Lucy's talking to Beaver, right? And Beaver's talking about Aslan, giant lion and stuff. And Lucy's like, oh, oh, is, is he safe? And what did Beaver say? No, 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 definitely not. Not safe, but good. That's Ecclesiastes. Dangerous book, but it's awesome. Okay, shall we open the Bible now? Okay, Ecclesiastes. We're going to start with chapter 1, but we're going to skip over the first 11 verses, and we'll hit that next week. Yep, it's backwards. Live with it. Um, Starting with verse 12, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 2, verse 26. And uh, what we'll see here is Solomon talking about being successful, right? And then calling it all meaningless. And And the word that is here, so by the way, I was super happy I think Justin, Pastor Justin, preaches out of the ESV, right? So that's, that's perfect, because um, all other translations are pure heretical. I mean, obviously, right? Does everybody know that? Okay, no, I'm kidding. I almost read Eugene Peterson's The Message, and if you don't know about The Message, I highly recommend, it shouldn't be your main Bible, um, but I highly recommend having one and reading it also. Uh, it's really, it's a fantastic way of sort of just bringing it to a normal vernacular. Anyway, uh, I'll be reading out of the ESV. And uh, in the ESV, the word that is used is vanity. Uh, and vanity is sort of a strange word for us. But if you, if you uh, look at the Hebrew word, it, it means vapor or mist. So every time you see vanity, just think of something not substantial, non-substantive, where it just is fleeting, kind of goes Okay, so any any uh, uh, any Kansas fans? No, Dustin the Wind. Anyone? Yeah, it's like that. So this you can play that song. By the way, funny story. I was preparing this and I was listening to uh, my playlist. Guess what came on? True story. Yeah, Dustin the Wind came on. Yeah. Okay. Chapter one, verse twelve. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I have applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, all that is done under heaven. Remember, wisdom here means understanding, and essentially you can add science to the mix because of where we were in world history. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be, business, to be busy with. Wisdom, unhappy business, he calls it. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, mist. All is striving after the wind. By the way, today we're not going to get into this, but next week we will really hone in on this under the sun. That's an important concept. It's an important context to have when reading Ecclesiastes, because Solomon is very aware that there's a God. And he always says, when he's talking about meaningless, 
he ties under the sun. Or, if you want to bring it up to our sort of more common vernacular, the natural world, right? So, as a naturalist, where do you find meaning? So that's what Solomon's pointing out. Okay, we'll, we'll unpack that more next week, but for now, we'll just continue on like it's not there. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Quick aside, you ever notice that? Do you ever wonder, do you ever wish sometimes that you didn't know what was going on because you'd be happier? Yeah. Chapter 2. And I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Strahedonism. hedonism, why not? But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what is good for children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made for myself pools from which the wa to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. And I also had great possessions of her herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and providences. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great. I was successful. And I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. I was the best of them all. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. He could have whatever he wanted. I kept, on my heart, I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. And then, and then, I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, yeah, all was vanity, striving after the wind. Nothing gained under the sun. And so I turned and considered wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. And then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there was more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks around in darkness. Yet I perceive that the same event happens to all. And when I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me as well. So why then be wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For the wise of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, 
just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. Verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. And because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart from which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. Verse 24. All right, then. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he is given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give it to the one who pleases God. And he ends, though, with, this is also vanity, <laughs> striving after the wind. Dear Lord, um, we need you this morning. Uh, this is a tough book, very challenging. Um, but that's kind of what you tend to do. You come in and are disruptive and you challenge the status quo. And Lord, I, I pray that, um, not that the goal would be to be challenged, but I pray that you would show up as, as a living person of Jesus and the form of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would come as you promised and that you would, you would change our hearts, Lord. Uh, change us in such a way that we understand you better, that we have a better relationship with you, and that we're able to put our weight, to put our full trust and faith on you. Thank you, Lord. Um, help us to not get confused or fall off the trail too far. In your wonderful name, amen. So back to success, what I propose and my assertion here is that what we really want, what each of us really want is a full life, a life of abundance. Okay, so what do I mean by full life? I mean a life that is complete, abounding, packed, bursting, crammed, loaded, overflowing, awash with life. Everything good, everything worthwhile, a full life, one that is, brings contentment and fulfillment. Is that what we want? The challenge is, is that each of us, myself included, we're easily confused. We think, we believe, in fact, we're told that the path to fulfillment, the path to a full life is being successful 
or said another way, in order to be fulfilled, you also have to be successful. We're told, and it's a, it's a lie, the Bible is replete, not just Ecclesiastes, the Bible is replete with it. We're told that the more we achieve, the more successful we are, then our life will be more full. We grow up believing that the better we are, the more success we'll find, and then the happier and the more content we'll be. Unfortunately, here's the problem. Success does not lead, success is not a causal to fulfillment or abundant, truly abundant life. There's no causal line there. Sometimes there's a corollary, but there's no causal line there. Or said another way, a full life does not indicate success necessarily. You know, if <laughs> think of a memorial service. Maybe not already been, but so generally speaking, there are exceptions. I think there might be exceptions to almost everything. But generally speaking, in memorial service, the eulogy doesn't talk about all the things that the person achieved, all the successes they had. Right? Generally, it's about what kind of person they were, what kind of life they lived, and the life, the abundance, the, the light that was brought to those around them. So why then do we insist in, in living our lives focusing on trying to, you know, pursuing, trying to achieve success when deep down what we want is full life? And probably the answer to the why is because we think they're connected. The good news is, and now we get into the gospel, the gospel, good news, right? I think Justin's big on this too. Yes. The good news is that a full and abundant life is God's version of success. Jesus came to finish things, to complete things, to transform our pathetic state into something truly glorious. Okay, you say our pathetic mark. I'm not pathetic, okay, but I am. So maybe if you're not, great, great for you, but I am pathetic, literally. Um, he took water and he turned it into wine. He took measly little loaves and fishes, fed 5,000. What about marriage? Okay, sure, not everybody's married here, but I think you understand. He takes marriage as a, as a view, as a, as a model for what it's going to be like for us to have perfect unity with Christ and live with him forever. So the good news is, right, that Jesus takes what's incomplete, imperfect, crooked, broken, and turns it into something that is unimaginably good, full life. Life more abundant. So this brings up the question. Where are you putting, just think about this for a minute, where are you putting your weight day to day? Okay, so what do I mean by weight? So what are you trusting in? What are you relying on? I mean, if you think about, you know, uh, so you depend, like what are you dependent on? So some likely candidates are things like 
you know, your job or your family or what have you. And by the way, don't, don't get me wrong. All these things are good to depend on. And what are you ultimately putting away? Like, you, like what are you betting your life on? Um, usually, we don't like to think about that question. I'm just going to say that out loud. Because it belayed, like, what do we have faith in? Like, what do we believe? What do we... And, you know, unless you get confused about I'm just talking about things spiritual, I'm not. So, for example, you trust that if you put a plant in the ground, it will grow, yes? Unless you're me, by the way. I trust that if I put a plant in the ground, it will die. But that's not what I'm talking about. I think you all know this. Okay, so you just have this faith. Like, is it because you did it great? Well, yeah, you can do certain things that make the likelihood better, but it's not up to you whether or not the plant grows or not. You just simply have faith that it happens. You trust that if you spend time and you love your kids or your family or your friends, that they will, in the kid's sense, they will grow up to be reasonably well-adjusted. That's an article of faith. Trust me, I have two boys. Article of faith. (laughs) might believe that if you're reasonably smart, work hard, do more good than harm, then, you know, things will turn out fine. Why do you believe that? Our achievements, the things that we accomplish, our successes, they can and often do Turn into idols. Idol, what do you mean? Like, I don't have an idol. Well, yeah, yeah, well, okay. Remember, idol. Anything that you trust to alleviate something or to help out or to get you through, that's not God, is an idol. And guess what? Idols always, 100%, lie. Always. They make a big promise and they don't deliver. You can have almost anything be an idol. Your spouse, your job, money, addictions, whatever. All kinds of things. And very often, the things that we're really good at, the things that God gave us, we turn those into idols. Meaning, the things that God gave us, the things that we're good at, we start to depend on them instead of God. We start to believe the lie That success is the deal. Where are you putting your faith? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. By the way, this is a bit of a rabbit trail, so I won't go down very far, but put eternity into his man's heart. You ever have that yearning for something better? Yeah. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. 
I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. I would like to make the case this morning that the living person of Jesus, not a philosophy, certainly not a religion, but the living person of Jesus. And I just want to pause there just for a minute because that's a very loaded term. And I, I sometimes struggle with trying to think about, like all the words are used up. Like, for example, you know when that notion from the card game, like this trumps that, but you can't use Trump anymore? Okay, so like, what do I do? Like, I'm out of words. But the living person of Jesus. Just think about that just for a minute. Not the teachings of some wise man, the person. Not a philosophy, the person. Not here's how to be a better life, how to find success. No, the person. Like literally in the same way that you like get to know friends or if you have a spouse, like the person. You don't want to know about somebody unless there's some celebrity thing. You want to know them. So my submit that the living person of Jesus, that is what your life should be centered on. That is the only thing that deserves your full weight. Okay, so I have a quick uh, parable that's not in the Bible. I stole this. It's 100% ripped off. It's from, uh, he used to be pastor at UPC, University Presbyterian, Earl Palmer. Um, Earl was very instrumental for me. I never went to the church, just listened to his, his teachings. He's very instrumental in me in sort of helping me wrestle with some of these things. Anyway, his parable, and I love it. I, it stayed with me forever. It's this idea of a bicycle wheel. Okay, I wrote a picture of a bicycle wheel. So his, the assertion is, we all center our life on something. All of us. There's many things we can center our life on. Many, 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 many. But the assertion is that Christ, the living person of Jesus, is the hub, is the center that the most spokes fit into. Okay, so just think about that just for a minute because I think it's a fantastic picture. We could choose, I don't know, I'm a guy, so job. I could choose my job to center my life on. It's the most important thing. I'll, I'll use a better one, family. Family is the most important thing. I'm going to choose my family. And family's, you know, pretty good. You can fit a lot of things into that center of a family. A lot of spokes, so to speak. Guess which hub, guess which center has many more spokes? Jesus. And if you say that's too theoretical, then I would submit to you that you don't yet know Jesus. And I, I, <laughs> I love, uh, I believe it was Nathaniel, someone correct me if I'm wrong, uh, one of the disciples before he's a disciple. And, you know, his quip was, uh, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? And what was the response? Come meet him. 
And that's my, that's what I want to say to you this morning. If you don't know Jesus, maybe you just know some of the teachings, maybe you know this philosophy, maybe it feels good, maybe something. If you don't know the person, I invite you to know him. Because that's the only thing that matters. Putting our weight on the living person of Jesus, it relieves the pressure of having to be successful. It's freeing. But guess what? There's a big downside. Ready? If we do that, then the things that happen that are pretty great, because that will happen too, they're not because of us. Our pride takes a hit. And now we sort of got a little bit more of a feeling of like when the Bible is full of these wild things like you have to die to self. What? And, you know, Nicodemus is, is, is talk with Jesus. You, you have to be born again. Like, what? What? Yeah. When we truly put our weight on Christ and stop depending on our own selves, that means that we're not in charge anymore. That means we're not in control. So this is incredibly freeing because now I don't have the pressure of being successful. Also, you start to, like, you ever met some of the old timers? And they're just like, you say, oh, wow, that was amazing. And they go, yeah, praise Jesus. You're just like, why? I, they mean it, I actually think. <laughs> they're like, I don't know. I'm just wandering around. God is great, isn't he? Yeah. That can be scary, though. When we relinquish control, when we say, it's only what you want, Lord, not what I want, it's scary. Luke 12, here's what Jesus said. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, or what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't have a storehouse or a barn, yet God feeds them. Matthew 6, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Oh, see a theme here? Hmm. What you will eat or what you will drink. Life is more than food. Look at the birds. Probably the same teaching from Christ. Success, if it comes at all, is pretty much going to be a gift, not the goal. The trap is that we think that success is the thing that we should be chasing. Um, there's a great book uh, for any writers in the room. I, I super recommend it. It's fantastic. I'm not a writer, and yet I liked it. Stephen King, a while ago, wrote a little, it's almost like a pamphlet, but it's, it's a book, called On Writing. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And I want to read to you uh, an excerpt from it, because I think it illustrates perfectly this point that I'm trying to make. And by the way, I'm almost done. I guess I'm almost okay. Uh, time-wise, uh, I, I think it perfectly illustrates this point where, like, how does this even work? Like, what do you mean, like, you shouldn't be, like, does that mean we just lay around and don't do anything and don't care? No, no, no. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more. Like, you know, lest you think that, just read James and you'll be set right, you know. That, yeah, that there's, we got to, like, there's, there's work for us to do. And in fact, next week we'll dive more into that. 
but but so okay so if there's work to do and it doesn't matter like what and and I think this kind of sheds this light on this kind of a strange thing and very hard to explain and I think Stephen King being a writer that he is right seemed to do a pretty good job <laughs> so uh, allow me to read this so from on writing by Stephen King Stephen King writing when my son Owen was seven or so, he fell in love with Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, particularly with Clarence Clemens, the band's burly sax player. Owen decided that he just really had to learn to play like Clarence. So my wife and I were amused and delighted by his ambition, and we were also hopeful, like maybe he would actually be good. So we got Owen a tenor saxophone for Christmas and lessons with one of the local music men, and we crossed our fingers and hoped for the best. Seven months later, I suggested to my wife that it was time to discontinue the sax lessons, if Owen concurred. Owen did, with palpable relief. He hadn't wanted to say it himself, especially since it was a birthday, uh, Christmas present. Okay, so you got this? Like, he's super excited, he's going to play the sax, blah, blah, blah. And then Stephen's like, okay, yeah, we're done now. Okay, so now here's why. God had not given him that particular talent. I knew, not because Owen stopped practicing, but because he was practicing only during the periods that his teacher made him, half an hour after school, four days a week, plus an hour on weekends. Owen mastered the scales and the notes, nothing wrong with his memory, fingers were good, hand-eye carnation, yep, you bet. But we never heard him taking off, surprising himself with something new, blissing himself out. As soon as his practice time was over, whoop, back into the case went the horn, and there it stayed until the next lesson time. What this suggested to me was that when it came to the sax and my son, there was never going to be any real playtime. It was all going to be rehearsal. That's no good. There's, there's no joy in that. It's best to go on to some other area where the deposits of talent may be richer, and the fun quotient higher. Practical. Talent renders the whole idea of rehearsal meaningless. When you find something at which you are talented, you do it, whatever it is, until your fingers bleed or your eyes fall out of your head. Even when no one is listening or reading or watching, every outing is a performance because you as the creator are happy, perhaps even ecstatic. That goes for reading, writing, playing, hitting a baseball, running a 440, the sort of strenuous reading and writing program I advocate four to six hours a day, every day, won't seem strenuous at all if you really enjoy it, if you have an aptitude for them. In fact, you may be following such a program already. If you feel you need permission to do all the reading and writing your heart desires, consider it hereby granted by yours truly. You see that joy? Now, I think he's obviously being speaking in he's speaking hyperbolically a bit, but do you see the joy? You see that, like his point is that you're not doing the thing to be successful. You're doing it because you love it, and it brings you joy. And that doesn't that give further context to Solomon's thing: eat, drink, be merry. It's the joy of the relationship with Jesus and doing the thing that has been set before you. Is your goal to achieve success 
or to put Jesus at the center and experience the joy of that. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Remember, he's talking about outside the sun now. Let your garments be white and let not oil be lacking for your head. That's a sign of health. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. Yes, this is in Ecclesiastes. All the days of your vain life, he did have to put that in there, so that he has given you under the sun, because that is the portion in life, and that is the toil which you toil. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Look at, think of Genesis. The whole garden was open. Okay, yes, with limits, but nonetheless. Now, we do have a responsibility. And again, next week we'll talk about God's kingdom and some of our role. And we do have achievements, the results of our work. Let's, I mean, I already mentioned James, right? <laughs> Faith without works is dead. Remember that? Anybody? I mean, in other words, being a bum doesn't work. Paul in Ephesians, right? He tells us that we are created to do what? Good work. Jesus himself tells us to store treasures in heaven. That's an active thing. You don't just sit around and then treasures get stored in heaven. In Hebrews, Paul talks about the labor of love. The thing is, our labor, our endeavors, our joyful work needs to be, must be, for a full life that is, centered on the living person of Christ. Think about 1 Corinthians 13, the great love poem. Talks about all these things. And what? Without love. Meaningless. We must work with patience and kindness and humility and all those other impossible fruits of the Spirit. God promises fulfillment as we toil as we work, our work and the resulting achievements, that is our worship, that is our praise to God. Love God, work obedient. It's important to know it's not because of what we do, but it's because of what Jesus did. Okay, so closing up. The good news is, this really is good news, it's the pursuit of success right? Not the success itself that often ends up killing us. It's when success becomes the goal, aka the idol, that the problems begin. Um, there's a fantastic book. It's amazing, even for just lay people like myself. In his book, The Art of Pastoring Without All the Answers, a guy by the name of David Hansen writes, the world wants winners. The world wants winners. Nothing su succeeds like success. Look good to attract the good-looking. Die to attract the dying. Suffer to know the being of suffering. Cry out to know Jesus is crying out. Hear the blood of the innocents crying. Searing pain rises from the blood-soaked dirt. And only now, in my parable of Jesus Christ. Nothing succeeds like success. Look good to attract the good-looking. Die to attract the dying. 
suffer to know the suffering. We must die to ourselves, lay down our own desires and dreams, surrender to Jesus entirely because that, that act of putting him at our living center is where life most abundant comes from. And that is an act of faith, and that is a bet that each of you will have to place. Is it really true? If I really give up control, if I really trust, if I actually put my weight, all of it, everything, family, job, everything, is that the best? Is that literally life most abundant? We'll close our eyes. Lord, uh, 